This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. If you are new here, I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. As we move to a biweekly schedule, I want to pop in with a special bonus episode featuring Rafia Zakaria, who is the author of the newly released book called Against White Feminism. One of the main reasons that I started this podcast was because I didn't see women of color represented in the wellness space. I noticed that the term wellness had become deeply commodified and another spoke in the will of capitalism. Instead of being concerned with the actual well-being of the community, wellness has largely been a vehicle to sell useless and expensive products and experiences to a largely white and affluent audience. In speaking to Rafia, it's become clear that the gripe that many of us have with the wellness community is actually a gripe of the type of feminism that upholds the ideals of white supremacy. The conversation that I had with Rafia was a really beautiful exploration of our shared experiences. One of the things that she mentioned was how she sees her own college-age daughter grappling with many of the same issues that she did. And she provides really great solutions for how we women of color can navigate all of the isms without losing our dear minds. So thank you so, so much for joining. I am so glad you're here. I know you are in for a treat. <laughs> so without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into the conversation. Be well, sis. All right. So I am super excited today. I have Rafia Zakaria on with us. She is the author of a new book, and I love the cover, um, Against White Feminism, Notes on Disruption. So let's just hop into it. How are you, first of all? I am good. I'm good. Um, you know, um, it's been it's a bit of a like a whirlwind and it's always uh I don't want to say strange but really it is kind of a strange moment when you wait for a book to come out and for people to read it because you know it's obviously and with the pandemic even more so it's been my life like for the past year and a half yeah. and so, um, so yeah, it's very, very exciting, uh, for it to finally come out and get like people to, you know, start responding to it and, and just reading it. Yeah. So, yeah, congrats. So, um, I want to know, you mentioned that you did, you do touch on your own personal experience with, um, white feminism, right? What inspired you to actually put pen to paper and share your own experiences and just how toxic, that's the right word, um, white feminism can be? What inspired you to actually write a book about all that you've been through um, and explain it to others? 
Well, I mean, um, you know, on the intellectual side of it, the work of, um, you know, women of color and particularly black feminists is very, very inspirational to me. If I didn't have, um, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw's work, quite honestly, is the foundation for uh, at least, you know, the theoretical aspect of the book. So I had that to go with. So it's, you know, I I felt like there there definitely was like a legacy that I could, um, you know, pin myself to. But the real question that I had or the real conundrum that I had that uh, was that I felt that there were lots of quote-unquote diversity initiatives and, you know, there's uh, there are efforts to publish more books by women of color. There are efforts to have them on, on boards. Like, you know, you know, all, you know, that whole thing. But I felt like, you know, they're still on the margins. Like there's, they're not making a dent within the core of power right? Uh, And social power. And so that was the central frustration I had. Uh, The the other one was, um, you know, to show, or at least try to to show how, um, how as a, a woman of color, and particularly one that is, you know, speaking to people who, who are from these very elite backgrounds, like, you know, at Amnesty, for instance, you know, most people, like, they went to really top colleges, and they they had, like, a very typical life path. Um, it was very difficult to explain to them how you feel, or I, you know, as a woman of color, feel besieged from all sides. So the book kind of tries to trace that progression where, um, you know, in education, like when you're in graduate school and you have a class on feminism, well, you know, it's it's white women's concerns. It's their uh, agenda. Um, you know, I talk, for instance, in that book about how my life had been uh, working on, you know, uh, advocacy for women uh, in Pakistan and then also like women of color in shelters, uh, because uh, that's a whole um, issue as well um, on, on kind of like uh, how how comfortable you are you or whose culture is that shelter going to sort of use as as it's this is the way things are done you right. know yep um so yeah so uh so those are very like pressing frustrations to me i um you know spent like uh 15 20 years writing about this working in different uh, you're on different fronts trying to solve, like work on this problem. And then, uh, you know, my daughter now is, is in college and she, um, I mean, basically I felt like she was facing the exact same, uh, situation that yeah. I had faced. And that was very, very, uh, frustrating to me. Yeah. That, that makes so much sense. And, um, like you said, you've had your own experience with it and now your daughter's having the same experience. And when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about how last summer there was this big uprisal. I'm not sure that's the right word, but a response to 
um, what's happening, what was happening with the George, George Floyd case. Um, and then um, there was a hashtag that was started by um, actually a friend to the show, um, Amplify Melanated Voices. And what happened was um, white women who had, who called themselves allies and who had large social media followings, particularly on Instagram, were then sharing their platforms with um, black women who had similar um, who, who should have the same demographic, right? Um, and I saw it happen for like a week and then that's it. Um, and it goes to, to show about how, what you were just saying, how things are, they'll happen for like a little bit of time and then they'll just trickle down. And then also the point that you made about how whiteness essentially is like the standard, right? So when we talk about feminist ideas, the people who are at the forefront of feminism traditionally are white women. And so what are their goals? Their goals are what's being pushed as the agenda. Um, So a lot of black women, and I've seen other women of color as well, don't feel that they are feminist. They feel that they are womanist instead. What what are your, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I completely understand the frustration and I, uh, I share the frustration and, you know, the example that you gave about the hashtag, I mean, that is like the perennial pattern in the book that I talk about how the word empowerment, um, you know, was, uh, coined by a group of, uh, brown feminists from primar- from all around the world, but primarily from India. And it was supposed to mean uh, this political struggle against all structures that oppress women and with attention, you know, intersectional focus uh, to how, you know, the, the sort of intersections of race and class and, and, and all of that how they uh, pertain. And, you know, that term was taken up by white women who headed up like various think tanks, policy institutions, uh, on and on, the UN bureaucracy. And it was, it's now made into like this technocratic term where empowerment is like, oh, well, so many uh, schools or, uh, you know, a certain number of, or, or like cool running shoes, or, I mean, it's, it's become a a branding mechanism right instead of actually a term that that has teeth politically um and can sort of you know bite through this um these obstacles uh so i completely understand the disenchantment with the word uh feminist and with like the with the existing vocabulary that we have because like you said that vocabulary has i mean like until recently has failed to um allow you know, women of color to frame how uh, these microaggressions happen, how white women occupy all the space. I mean, that's really at the core of it, right? Is that, okay, if if space is created for women, uh, white women come in and occupy all of it and maybe give like five or 10% to other women of color and to particularly those women of color who are willing to sort of be 
uh, tokens and affirm the white agenda. So, you know, in the book, like I talk about how um, gender equality um, has not traditionally been like the number one goal. It's not like, I mean, everyone wants gender equality, but it's not been the number one goal. For instance, I give the example of, and it, this happened in um, in America too, prior to, um, you know, uh, African-American slaves being freed uh, and emancipated, is that, you know, it's like gender equality, gender equality. And of, of course, like black women, they're like, well, I, I don't want to be equal to this black man who is also enslaved by you. Right. And, you know, women in India had the exact um, kind of reaction because they uh, were also being told around the, uh, you know, early 19th century, they were like being told that, oh, well, you should fight for suffrage, 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 suffrage. And, um, you know, and, 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 and of course, like they're like, well, we don't want the vote with the British I mean, we have, right. we're a colony, so we don't want to be equal to the brown guy. We want to be equal, like to to the white man. Like we want, mm-hmm. we want colonization to end. And so, so you know, but the problem within that is that because colonization and slavery, in it interrupted, uh, you know. It, the the otherwise uh, evolution of cultures, whether it's yeah. in any part, yeah. uh, it, it interrupted it so significantly, and people lost such a huge part of their history mm-hmm. and their genealogy that what we have right now are like these very patchwork pictures. Uh, you know that we're trying to make out of whatever fragments. We have. I mean, I did a talk at the British Library and they were, you know, nice enough to host me. But then, you know, they were talking about like these issues in the book. And like at one point I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. And I was just like, you know, you guys have all the history that I'm (laughs) talking about. Like it's all in your archives. But, you know, millions of people in the subcontinent have no access to it Mm -hmm. um, because they'll never be able to go. And the consequence is like all sorts of like, you know, fundamentalist movements and Mm -hmm. uh, these because because it, it comes from this crisis of not knowing who you are and not knowing uh, what the fights that people before you have fought. Mm. Wow. That, that was so powerful. You said so much. My, my brain was just sorry. like running. No, no, not sorry. This was good. Um, I want to go back to the empowerment piece a little bit. Um, you mentioned that it's like essentially become brand. It's like a branding slogan or whatnot now. And I think, what I thought about is how it all goes back to capitalism and how everything boils down to how can I acquire capital? And I think when we think about traditional feminism, when I think of feminism, I do think of white feminism, right? Um, right, because you've not been, because too much, feminism has been equivocated with like, uh, it's not been disaggregated from whiteness. Right. So now when you want to project yourself as a feminist, you have to act white, which right. is 
insane. Right, right. And, and I think for me, this may be a bit much, but in acting white, it's really thinking about how can I get more, 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 and not thinking about my community and those are around me, right? Absolutely, um, absolutely. And, I, and when you also were talking, I thought about how I read something that said that white women and black men have in common that they are trying to reach the level of white males and in doing so um, just want the subconscious need or want desire to like oppress others but not be oppressed and I think it's so powerful because I, I think back to the 2016 election here in the U.S. where um, in protest to Donald Trump being the president, a lot of white feminists went to the Capitol and they were wearing these pink hats and, you know, yada, yada. And you come out. What happens when we look at the data is that a lot of you voted for him. And now that you see that there's real consequences for your vote, your action, now you're, you're protesting. Right. Um, and now that you are impacted, you're protesting. Uh, yes, I mean, I'll, I'll take the empowerment uh, piece first in terms of like using it, I mean, using it as a branding mechanism. And you're precisely right. Uh, it, it just became like this term of art within the capitalist structure so that, you know, well, Bill, <laughs> when Bill Gates is coming up with like how he's going to quote unquote deliver empowerment, he says, well, you know, like, let's go, let's go to South America and Africa and give women chickens and then they'll have a chicken and then the chicken will have an egg. I mean, it was ridiculous. And it's a program that has been completely um, already done research and shown not to do anything in not to produce any empowerment in the long run but you're right the idea of empowerment and it's actually a really crucial point because the idea of empowerment when you do this when you say that empowerment equals economic empowerment um so you have chickens and then you have a chicken business and on and on what what you're neglecting is the political structure that needs to exist to safeguard the progress that women make. So it's not that women can't like take chickens and make a business out of it. Um, you know, women are very resourceful, particularly women of color, I would say. Um, but, but, you know, they're not the, the, even if they did all that, the, the, the advances would be lost yeah. because you don't have the political power to advocate, um, you know, to, to maintain those advances. And in other situations, like I, I, I talk about projects in other parts of the world, these development projects. And the question is, um, you know, they, they do these projects, but, uh, in one case, for instance, you know, the Indian women did, were, they were being given these clean stoves there. It was like, they were told your, you know, your wood burning fire is hor horrible and it's smoking everything up. And look, if you use this stove, then free up all this time. And then, you know, you can, the idea is, of course, you can go out and be a wage earner and then that'll increase your power. And the women just like refuse to use it. They just like refuse to use these stoves because they were like, look, we go out, 
you know, collectively and collect the wood that we burn in the stove. It's our time to talk to other women, to, you know, figure out solutions to our problems, to do, you know, to do what women do, to actually, uh, it's our sisterhood. Yes. Um, And we're not interested in like giving that up so that, you know, the only jobs that are available to us are jobs like that involve like really hard labor. Um, and they're not jobs that's going to that are going to increase our economic uh, capacity far, much farther. So point being is that nobody talks to the women, you know, they don't talk to the Indian women. They don't talk to women in other in, in communities because we have uh created i mean the whole epistemic system of 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 knowledge in in the west in particular uh prioritizes expertise over experience and the consequence of that is that women of color who actually have the experience of fighting feminist battles like every single day uh just to exist they're kind of pushed to the back, you know, they're invited to tell their like story stories of trauma, yeah. which ironically, of course, is trauma is usually inflicted by a white system. Mm-hmm. And then they're pushed to the corner like, OK, well, now we'll make the policy, right. um, you know. And so so that's one thing. And then, I mean, you said about the women's march, there's a lack of ownership of the role white women play in maintaining and maintaining the structures of white supremacy. And and that's precisely what white feminists are. White feminists are women who are unwilling to recognize or um, dissect their own complicity in uh, oppressive structures, in the larger oppressive white uh, dominated system. Oh, absolutely. That was like, this is like a, a whole like powerful lecture because you're. <laughs> I'm sorry, every, I don't mean to lecture. No, no, no. Um, a lecture in the most beautiful way. It's a lot to take in and to digest, and it's so necessary to like understand it and then <clears throat> move forward. Absolutely. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, the book's goal and my goal is very much to try and give a framework to young women of color who are, uh, you know, uh, who are interacting with a a very, uh, a a society that's, that's changing very rapidly and allow them a lens to look at the present and how it's connected to the oppressive. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like when I was writing this book, uh, I really was kind of floored by how the patterns are. I mean, in some cases, it's it's not even a pattern. It's like the the exact same MO and they did it back in the day uh, and they're doing it again, you know, and 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 it's the same excuses. Yes. Um, It's the same statements about diversity and it's the same statements about like, oh, but, you know, we are committed to fairness and like you know we don't we don't want to make like we don't want to think about race but like we're right right and and um when you 
what you just said now reminded me of what you said earlier about, um, for example, um, Bill Gates giving women in, you know, South America, the chickens and all that good stuff, where there are actual things that you can do to change the system, but the system benefits you. So you really don't want change, you know? And Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. I was just thinking you don't want change. And the, 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 the worst thing is, is not only do you not want change, but you make these superficial moves and you make even being allies or even being committed to this issue as a virtue signal. You know, so the value of these chickens and whatnot is not the determinative quality of the core of that project is not the woman who gets it or, you know, what she's going to do with it. It's the fact that, you know, Bill Gates has come up with a magic solution uh, and he's going to end poverty. That was literally his statement. He was going to end poverty with chickens. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so it's and it was the same with the Women's March. Right. And I've seen that dynamic in conversations that I've had about this book is like, I mean, the the women's march was very much I felt there was a huge dimension of virtue signaling in it it was kind of like you know this is how we're gonna this is how we're what we're gonna do and we're gonna put center whiteness in ourselves and um you know, I mean, like the pussy hats, for instance, like I write right. in the book about why are they pink, man? Like why? I mean, right. Because okay, they are the default, you know, in their mind, right. no other variation exists. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's why I was like, and, I, and they're so um, stunned to hear this. You know, which is like, to me, a very obvious thing. Um, because it's, it's just they've never had to. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable for them to talk about these issues because they've never had to. But, you know, at the same time, women of color, and in particular black women who, uh, you know, suffer, I would say, the most discrimination in terms of, you know, what walks into the room with you when you walk in, like all these prejudices, all these, I mean, every, like, they're literally carrying, you know, the load of the burden of us, all of society's like prejudice on their shoulders. And then they have to work to sort of somehow convince the people in the room that they're an actual human being and not a social architect. My question is for those of us, so women of color who are dealing with all of the the isms, right? Um, What would your advice be? Because we know what's happening and how, what would be like your one or two tips for how do we maneuver not only in our workplace, but just in just society, knowing all that we know and just going through all that we go through without losing our absolute minds? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's important, uh, really, really important to create spaces where uh, women of color can have these conversations with each other. And it doesn't have to be 
you know, it can be a WhatsApp group. It, it can be anything. I'm, I, I'm not talking about like, you know, something grandiose, but, but it's it, like as a survival mechanism, it's absolutely crucial, I think, for women of color to have that, um, to have those people who you can vent to about all of these microaggressions, uh, because otherwise, you know, even in a health perspective, on a perspective of like your inner, um, your your, I feel that society calls so often on women of color and like I said, particularly black women to be the bigger person, you know. Um, but that's still uh, what you actually do doesn't matter in the sense that your your soul gets that damage, you know, it feels that damage. And so I think that it's really, really integral uh, for women of color to sort of have these spaces. I also think that women of color amongst each other, you know, one of the biggest sort of tone policing or um, kind of not you type uh, thing that I get from white women is when they say, well, well, you can, you know, you're brown, so you you don't say this, but like a black woman should say this or a black woman shouldn't say this. Uh, uh, And on and on, gotcha. right? Like yeah. this this way of like dividing up women mm-hmm. uh, of color and saying and and still maintaining um, still maintaining one's own power in that you're deciding who gets to yes. wh- who has the more more legitimate gripe or whatever, and it it becomes you have to train yourself to think. Um, you know, to, to be able to notice these things, uh, because, and that's one of the things that the book tries to do. I'm trying to make it overt. So women of color are less vulnerable to gaslighting. Yeah. Uh, I've been gaslit so much, um, that I almost even had to write this to, um, and gather the evidence so that I don't feel like I'm going crazy myself. Um, the other thing is I think that it's time for uh, women of color to be more vocal. And it's time for women of color to say it as it is. Um, you know, it's not your problem. I mean, it, it's true that within the workplace, um you know, with these dynamics, it's not often, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, like go fight with your boss right now. Uh, but, um, but I, what I'm saying is, is that create a strategy uh, where you can have the opportunity to say these things as subtly as you need to in some situations and as uh, boldly as you can in other situations. But this is part of like our, this generation life work you know things are transforming and so if we don't say it now uh, we might not get the opportunity to have an impact on what comes next so you're fighting for the world that comes after you so beautifully said so so beautifully said 
Thanks so much for tuning into this bonus episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. Against White Feminism is available everywhere books are sold. And for your chance to win a free copy, text WOMANIST to 973-832-1684. I'll choose a winner by August 31st, 2021. Again, to win a free copy, text WOMANIST, W-O-M-A-N-I-S-T to 973-832-1684. Be well, sis.